Loudspeaker Studios. A quick content warning. Today's episode contains some graphic descriptions of medical experiences and also a reminder that Aaron and Adrian are not medical professionals. Welcome to the Hangover Liberation Society, the podcast celebrating the unexpected benefits of living a zero-proof lifestyle. I'm Erin Ranto. And I'm Adrian Vandervalk, and we are the co-founders of Rever Recovery Support and the originators of the Hangover Liberation Method. Today's episode is a little bit different and one that I'm really, really honored to be doing with you, Aaron. And we're going to be exploring Aaron's journey with liver disease, which is a pretty intense topic and one I'm just so grateful that you're willing to share with us. I'm happy to share. I feel as if it's just good information for people to know. Your willingness to share this story is such a gift. I think it opens up so much space for people who may be struggling with these issues, but not quite ready to deal with them. And, you know, hopefully hearing about what you went through could be the impetus for someone to take some action, which is, of course, you know, what we always hope will happen. That is why I share. For some reason, I, even though it's such a maybe considered shameful thing. I've never really felt that much shame about sharing it. I feel this urge to share for that exact reason that you just mentioned. I think the shame that we feel we should feel about these things is often a symptom of our cultural conditioning. So I just really applaud you for recognizing that and being able to transcend it. So yeah. Thank you. Are you ready to get into it? Let's do it. So let's just start off by talking a little bit about your drinking life before this battle actually began. I know that it was many years and it's kind of hard to summarize, but can you just give us a snapshot of your drinking path that led you to the point where you realized that you even had liver disease? I was somebody who loved their first sip of alcohol. I remember when I was in my teenage years, having that first drinking experience and really just becoming quite obsessed moving forward, always wanting to go back to that initial feeling that I had for years to follow. And drinking was something that I was always looking to do, whether it was in college, I went to University of Washington, then an art school, conservatory afterwards, working in restaurants, was drinking and other things, drugs, massive partying. I tried to keep dance in my life by becoming a Pilates instructor, which I became quite successful at, but I was still drinking a lot, moved to Hawaii, drinking a lot. I lived in Maui for five years. It was during that time when this medical problem started to really happen. And what was your first indication that something was really amiss with your body? So the first indication was, and excuse me for being graphic, but it was throwing up every morning. I became a morning drinker and it was around this time when when that happens, first of all, if you're listening and you're somebody that's making the shift and you find yourself drinking earlier and earlier, it's really honestly a time to take a good hard look at your drinking because 
you entered into a cycle that is so dangerous. So with the morning drinking, it becomes, you know, you realize that's the only way to get rid of your hangover and you can kind of carry on your day. And so in that same era, I suppose, I think it was around 2012, I started, yeah, throwing up every morning and I wasn't shaking yet. I'll get into that, but just my stomach was, something was wrong. And, you know, there occasionally would be blood down the line and it was so bad. And the throwing up was subsided when I would get a drink in me. And then sometimes I would throw that one up and then have to have another one. Wow. And I, I'm just curious to know emotionally how this impacted you. Did you feel scared? Were you concerned or were you just so focused on doing whatever you needed to do to feel better? I was scared, but it did not make me quit drinking. I was so scared that I think it made me drink more. And the other, well, the other substance that was going along in my life, and I don't talk about this much, but um, was opiates. Having those around, I'm assuming that the mix did not help the stomach one bit, but the fear was covered up just by drinking even more. I went to a doctor and they did say that I had the early stages of liver disease, which is called fatty liver. But fatty liver disease is quite, quite reversible. And he honestly told me, he didn't ask about my drinking, I don't think at all. Or he just casually said, right, keep out, you know, don't drink. But he also gave me a recipe for a fruit smoothie to try. And I'm like, okay, I made a smoothie. I can do that again. And I probably put vodka in the next one that I made. Yeah. So that wasn't taken very seriously at all by me or the doctor. That's so fascinating. And how old were you at the at that time? About 36. I just have to comment on that. Like as a doctor, I would think that if a 36 year old came in with the early stages of liver disease, wouldn't that be like a giant flashing red warning light that that person was drinking too much and needed to be spoken to about their alcohol consumption? One would think, and I mean, I can guarantee that I had other visible symptoms, I'm sure, whether it be breath or eyes or puffiness or I, there wasn't a day that I was sober. So I couldn't imagine that I was completely sober, if not at least from the day before, you know, in that doctor's appointment. Wow. Okay. So tell me about the next phase of what you went through. You saw a doctor, the doctor didn't really raise any red flags, told you to drink a smoothie. You put vodka in the smoothie. What happened next? It just got worse. I The throwing up was getting worse. Then I started shaking in the morning, which not, isn't necessarily a liver disease symptom, but it's a symptom of being physically dependent on alcohol. And I tried to quit once. I remember this one day I said, I'm going to just try to quit. And my body was trembling so profusely. My husband had to help me walk to the bathroom, like my legs, and I just couldn't bear it. So I remember, I think I drank like a white Russian or something to calm my nerves and found something else to take. And I just, you know, I, I couldn't, I didn't know what to do at this point. And I had a dear, dear friend out there who had actually been through the same experience. And she, she was very, very aware. We met around this time and she we met for lunch. She was actually a Pilates client of mine and we had lunch and she told me about her story and I started just 
bawling at this lunch. We were at this really plant-based, just super healthy place in Maui. And so from then on, we were just like soul sisters anyway. So she could see me experiencing this and she would tell me, okay, you're not yellow yet, but you do need this. She would buy me vodka in the morning because she would know that it's not safe for me to just stop abruptly. So anyhow, physically, it was just still the throwing up, but it was just worse and the shaking. And I was just getting a little bit out of my mind. Yeah. We used to talk about the cognitive symptoms a little bit. I know that you and I have talked about this privately, but I think it's yeah. important to, to mention. Yeah. So, well, there's something that happens called wet brain when you're coming off of alcohol or have too much in your body, you just kind of lose your mind a bit. Like you just don't remember things and you are later's the hallucinations that I'll kind of get into maybe like in a moment, but the, just the confusion and I was forgetting things a lot. And I used to be really on top of like appointments and stuff. And keep in mind, I was still working a lot and still trying to maintain life. I just, yeah, I had lost short-term memory. It was really poor and yeah, just, it was slightly embarrassing, actually. Not slightly. It was embarrassing. Did you go back to the doctor at any point still while you were in Hawaii? No, I started to go to AA meetings. I tried, you know, I, I would go not sober. Maybe I'd be like half of a day sober, maybe, you know, but I would go with that dear friend and some other people I knew sometimes. Um, I met a couple people kind of in that community and I really knew at this point, like this is not something I have to stop. This is something that I was trying, but still drinking. Yeah. So the body was shaking. My mental state was just kind of more confused and I started to have less clients. I started to phase out of working. And at the very end of Maui, we didn't have an apartment anymore. So about maybe three or four months before we moved and these amazing clients of mine graciously let us stay in their homes, in their guest homes and whatnot over the course of these months. And our stuff was in storage. So I can, I can only imagine that they knew. I mean, I don't, you know, they were just, but they're very kind, amazing people to let us stay when we literally didn't have a place. And there was some stuff going on job-wise. Um, financially, we were, it was really bad too because of drugs and alcohol were the main reason, the only reason. This, this was a massively stressful time, just horrendously stressful. But I didn't know what to do about my physical body going to shit at the same time. So that was at the end of Maui. And what happened next? This is just you and your husband at this point, right? Okay. Prior to yep. kid. Okay. Yes. And prior to dogs too. <laughs> Pri prior to the expanding of the family circle. Yes. So we moved back from Hawaii at the end of that year, which was 2014. And when my dad picked us up from the airport, he cried because I looked so just not myself. I was puffy and just sick. And so I don't think people really knew that it was that bad until they saw me. Like I ended up staying with my parents, they're divorced, but one house and the other moms or dads back and forth for a, for a bit. And what happened was 
on New Year's Eve that year, it was just like any other day. I was just completely obliterated. But I woke up New Year's Day 2015 in the hospital. I had been in an ambulance the night before. I don't remember. But my blood alcohol was 0.62 or something like that. Wow. And like, and I'm not exaggerating. It's crazy. I'm, I mean, I used to drink so much, like a gallon a day with no chase, just maddening amounts. And so I was in the hospital. I know that the people were like, this girl should be dead. And I just remember I was pulling my IV out, just acting like a, just completely out of my mind. Why? I don't know. And I did that another time too. Side note, you must be like, what? Because you've only known me sober. <laughs> it is kind of hard to imagine Erin like, ripping IVs out of her arms, like, to I'm be honest. Really, I'm a really chill person. You know? so chill. <laughs> right after that New Year's Day hospital stay, then I went to detox. So my family found a detox called Cascade. and this place, I mean, when I checked in, I was obliterated. I remember doing the intake. I couldn't answer simple questions when I was checking into this detox. I was just out of my mind. I was also laughing. And I think, I, I mean, I saw a picture. I was wearing a clown kind of outfit, just really mismatched prints and stuff. And then they take you back. And I wasn't given my meds to help calm me down for a long time because I had so much alcohol in my system. So I was sitting there and there's these people kind of zombie-ish and there's this like cereal, you know, help yourself cereal thing with that milk that comes out of the silver pour spout. Um, just total cafeteria, really stark, 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 no window facility. And then my room, it was a very, very hard mattress, no TV, no books, nothing. So I remember just shaking, shaking, shaking. Finally, about 1.30 in the morning, the nurse comes in and asks how much I'd been drinking. And I just said a gallon a day. I wasn't going to lie anymore. So they give you like a benzo type of medicine because benzos are practically alcohol in a pill, and it, but it helps just take you down a little bit. So anyway, during detox, I had some horrible hallucinations. The hallucinations when you're coming off of alcohol Oh, I remember just sitting in this place thinking that there was some big weird barbecue and all my detox members were going and I wasn't invited. But then come to find out what it was, was that some of them were choosing to go to an inpatient facility. I chose AMA against medical advice to not go. And instead, I actually had used one of my few phone calls in detox to basically say yes to a job that I had been talking to the people about. So this job I was excited for, it was at a really high-end like gym where you get a Lululemon uniform, you get insurance, you get, I was on salary, all this stuff. So I, anyway, secured the job in detox and planned to do outpatient where you go to the group meetings, but live at home, not living in the facility. So those were about a half a mile away from each other. So I started after detox, I started this plan. I would go to work and then go to outpatient. 
And then this didn't last long. I relapsed and started kind of started all over again. During the post-detox couple months, I still was trying to work, got fired, got another job, go there drunk. Get I mean, it was just a horrible situation. So what was happening with your liver at this time? Because we know you had the beginnings of fatty liver disease mm -hmm. like a couple years earlier now. And I imagine through mm -hmm. all of this, that certainly can't have improved. I'm, I'm imagining it got much worse. Yes. So at this point, my eyes were yellow. There's no eye drops that cure that. I started to have a very low tolerance. So what happens is you just get so sick in the liver, your body can't take any alcohol anymore, but you don't realize that. So you continue to drink the amounts that you would, which was a lot. And I would be blacked out in the late morning. I mean, for the day. And I remember there was a phase where it was frightening. Uh, my husband would kind of drop me off and pick me up from work because I mean, at least I wasn't driving, but, or I would take an Uber and I would not really remember, or I would walk into the street, you know, scary things. And then some more symptoms began, which were my stomach became distended. I would have, I would get frequent fevers. I was just in and out of the hospital with all these symptoms. So my mom would take me and I would have a fever. It would spike like 102 and it just wouldn't go down. And we would go in and I would stay and, or I would go in to get my stomach. Um, there's a name for it tapped, I think drained, but it's like the specific thing for this. Uh, I had to do that a couple times. And when you would go to the hospital all these repeated times, were they talking to you about your drinking? Were they testing your liver? What what were those conversations like? Yeah, actually, if I backtrack a bit, at this point, I had found a doctor who who really cared about me, and I loved her very much. I mean, as a doctor, she was amazing. She She started sending me to the hospital. So that's right. She would test my liver, test what's called a bilirubin, which is supposed to be 0.5 to 1 for a normal person. And mine would get up to 10, 12 at 1.25. And this was always a gauge of just kind of how bad I was doing with my liver. And then the, there's like a general test for the, I think the AST, this different liver enzymes. Those were always elevated as well. And this doctor was very, very concerned and then I was prescribed various medicines, but really a lot of vitamins and this thing called lactulose, which is basically a diuretic, but it flushes your system out, like flushes the liver toxins out. So it's this disgusting syrup and I'd have to drink that. Oh, and I had to go on prednisone. So by the time I went to rehab, the rehab people almost didn't let me in. My husband and his father, they drove me out there, had to beg them to take me in. They were just, just, but just by my appearance, they were so scared to be responsible for me because even though it's a rehab, it's honestly not a medical facility. There's a pill room where they dole you out your medicine. And so I just remember it was embarrassing because they'd have to give me like 50,000 things. So that rehab was 21 days after that stint of abstinence and taking my medicine. I was feeling better, but 
not great, you know? Mm -hmm. I wasn't feeling it really. And I was just, I guess, really just not healed in any kind of way, right? Except for a little bit physically. I'm Sarah Moneres, the host of the We Podcast, your space for inspiration, stories, and real talk. On the We Podcast, we love talking about the things most people don't openly talk about the real, messy human experience and how we can grow through it. Tune in on Loudspeaker every week on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Mountain and on Tuesdays on any of your favorite podcast apps. Join us in this space that's all about connecting through our stories, showing up for the real, and embracing the truth that we are not on this journey alone. See you there. So what happened was in my, and I'm just going to call it my sick mind, I just wanted so badly for maybe this all to be over or to be normal. I applied for a job near my mom's house and it was at a restaurant, which is the stupidest move. But I was like, this isn't in the party area of the town. This is really residential and this will be fine. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know why they hired me. We had wine tastings. But I remember I wouldn't even really drink the wine, but I started drinking vodka before. I just mm -hmm. did like abruptly. And one day, one of the women there knew, she's like, you're jaundiced. You need to go. And so I went to the hospital again. And then I came back to this job for the very last time. I, I was in a complete blackout, passed out, I think in the restaurant. I don't even know. Next thing I know, I'm in the ho my last hospital stay of this scenario was, so it was after rehab. It was 10, 12 days. This was like the mega one where I really wasn't supposed to come out. I was so sick. My Billy Rubin was, I think, 28. This is where the kind of the priest or the person that talks about death came into the room and just wanted to see how I felt about death. They told my husband to get ready for maybe me not coming home. So that should have been the one. Right. Or that so was the one. That but... was the one. And I was sober. I was sober. I was going to like AA and I I had this sponsor. Ah, I just started sneaking little minis again. And I was, I couldn't do it. Like my mother would know, my husband would know. Like some people can smell alcohol and some people can't. Mm -hmm. I've, I learned that in my experience. And the two of them really can. There's some other people in my life that I was shocked that couldn't. But, um, so I couldn't really get away with it. But one morning, what happened is I was in my mother's basement and I had started going to outpatient at a different place. And I just, I took this like quarter shot of vodka that I had left. And I said, like, that's it. Like I was four in the morning and I took that and I went to the outpatient. And that same day, he recommended I go to an addiction doctor and I did. And then that doctor helped me with some medicine that really helped me. Um, and that was it. I had no more hiding to do. What you just described is so important because it's like 
everyone in the world can be screaming in your face that you need to stop. And you're, you know, you can look at the tests and you can be throwing up blood and it's not, there has to be that internal shift. There has to be that moment when you say yes and are ready. And this is something I think is really important for people who are supporting people with substance use disorders to know. It's like, there's nothing else that you can do. You've done all the things. This is something that has to come from them. So I do appreciate you sharing at all these moments where you would think, oh, those would be the rock bottom. It's like the rock bottom doesn't necessarily do it for everybody. You know, that's not yeah. that's not a, a golden ticket to recovery. Right. And the rock bottom really almost maybe you just want to stay or kind of just just you know, get it out of my head because they were so bad. So, and I wish that I had some grandiose moment about my sobriety date, which is 2016, but I don't. I mean, it just happened and I just, the medicine helped. I'm not going to say what it is on this podcast because I'm not a doctor, but I'll, I'm happy to talk to anyone offline about it. And I, I always say this and I'll say it again. I started to just implement things I like and do things. I was physically able to do a bit more. So like, this is what we do in our program. Just like some, I did some movement stuff I used to love and I got really involved in that again. I was teaching again and actually like sober and healthy and getting healthier and it was fun. And at my sobriety date, I went for tacos and I was looking forward to it. So that kept me sober that day. And then I just kept putting in these things to look forward to. And they grew. Like I leased a car with my bad credit, a $700 a month payment, but whatever. And then we moved to New York. I mean, these things got quite big. <laughs> but anyway, so I just having things to look forward to and just having some positivity in your life can really help even if you have to force it in there a little bit because you're not feeling good during this rock bottom times or the times when you're trying to quit. You're most likely not feeling that positive. So gosh, if you can just like kind of infuse those things and make them into your life, it really helps. It's like a little bit of a fake it before you make it kind of thing. Yeah. Cause you're never going to feel like getting up and moving or meditating or going out to dinner because you feel like shit. But to your point, if you can find a way to structure those things in, then you start to want to do it more. And that's when you can actually start to really build a life that feels more like a life. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I guess you dopamine hits, whatever. If you want to look forward to those dopamine hits that are not going to kill you, by all means, do it. How is your liver now? And what advice would you have for anyone who might be concerned about whether or not their liver is functioning properly? Yeah, that's actually a good question. So once I was getting better, I do have to get an ultrasound for my liver. It was twice a year, now once a year. In fact, I need to go get one. So those, I would always go with fear and then they started to be, you know, better scans with less, I think there's a little of the cirrhosis, cirrhotic scarring, but it's okay, it's just a little amount. So that would make me very relieved and happy. One quick story, I'd always go in where the people are having ultrasounds for babies. And it was kind of like, okay, well, I assumed that I wouldn't have a baby. Another medical thing, I'll just say this, I didn't have a period for two years after I was sober. So I assumed 
you know, that's just not something that will happen for me. Well, it did a little bit later. So, but my liver now is the levels are good. I mean, it's the bilirubin's normal, like 0.5 or whatever it's supposed to be. And the levels that you get, AST and all those are are good, have been good. But the one thing is, is it heals unless you get too much cirrhosis that does not heal. So it's a fine line to say that it heals because yes, it does for the most part, but you can cross over. And I was so close to that. So I suggest just getting your enzymes tested. If you are able to do that and you're thinking clearly, you don't have as bad cirrhosis. Like just don't worry, go get them tested so you can get a handle on it. And I mean, if you are really, really sick from cirrhosis, you're going to already be in the hospital. It's not like you're going to be probably honestly listening to this podcast right now. So I suggest getting it tested, see what's up, and then you can go from there with an informed decision. Well, Aaron, I just am so thrilled to be able to learn from you and really, really appreciate you sharing the ups and downs of that journey. You'll never know how many people you're helping by sharing what you went through. Thank you so much. I appreciate you asking me about it and talking to you about it. And I really, if anybody listening has any questions, please let me know. Or if you just want to kind of talk about it, because you know you might not have anyone that you want to share about with, but you can tell me. So as you know, if you're a regular listener, each episode, we'll bring you a big sober energy tip. These are here to help enhance your life and your recovery journey. Today, Adrian is going to do it a little bit differently, kind of blend our big sober energy tip and our mindful movement slash meditation that we give you every episode as well. Thank you, Erin. So we decided to kind of do a hybrid approach, as she said, and the reason for that is we were trying to think about the energetic practice that we would recommend that goes along with the idea of caring for your internal organs. And one of the things that we teach in Reva is a practice called interoception. And interoception at a very basic level means to pay attention to how the inside of your body feels, which is not something that most of us are taught how to do. We might, especially if we're drinking or using or detached from our bodies for a variety of reasons, trauma being one of the most common, we just miss the messages that our bodies send us until we are, for example, throwing up every morning or shaking or experiencing acute pain in our organs from drinking. And this applies to, you know, any kind of medical thing, not just drinking and using related. It's just a great practice and it's also a great way to practice mindfulness. So we're going to practice some interoception together along with a little bit of gentle movement to help stimulate the organs and do some gentle detoxifying. My recommendation for this would be that you do it lying down on the floor if possible. And as with all of our meditations, please don't do this if you are driving or doing anything that requires a lot of concentration. So to start off with just lying on the floor, relaxing your hands, your feet, your head, taking a deep breath in and out, close the eyes if that feels comfortable for you or just let your eyes just be at a soft gaze if you'd prefer not to close them. Feel the weight of your body really sink into the floor. 
And as you breathe, maybe imagine that breath being initiated all up and down the back of the body from the crown of your head, down your neck into your shoulders, the backs of your arms, down your spine, breathing into the lower back, the glutes, the backs of your legs and your heels. Maybe even imagining your body slightly rising and falling from the ground with every inhale and exhale. And now we're going to allow your mind's eye to travel through your body and specifically through the inside of your body, starting with your toes. Traveling up through the soles of your feet and the bones at the top of your feet. Imagining the inside of your foot scanning for any sensation you might notice there. A sensation might be a tingle or a tickle, a contraction, a pulse. You don't have to strain to look too hard for anything. Just simply observe what you find there. And if you don't find anything, then just observe that it's nothing and move on a little bit higher into your lower legs, the shins, the calves, Notice how your muscles feel. Become aware of anything you might observe. It can be the inside or the outside. Maybe there's air moving in the room. You can feel it on your skin. Maybe it's the floor that you're lying on. But bring that awareness very intentionally to the inside of the body as well. And now let's move it further up into your knees, your quadriceps and your hip flexors. Once again, no judgment about what you find. Just breathing and observing. And 
And now let that observation travel up into your pelvis. Notice the sensation of your glutes pressing into the floor. Notice anything that you might be feeling in your reproductive organs, if you have internal reproductive organs. And up a little higher in your lower intestines, your stomach. Are you feeling anything digestive going on? Once again, no need to tell any kind of story about it. Just observing what you feel on the inside. And now letting that awareness move into the lower back. middle back, the lungs, as with many of our meditations, observing the rise and fall of your chest, the lungs filling with air as you inhale, contracting as you exhale. Maybe you can feel the beating of your heart as you observe a little higher in your chest. Notice any tingling, tension, or maybe a feeling of relaxation and ease in your upper chest, your shoulders. Bring your awareness down into your upper arms. Notice where they're touching the floor. See if you can feel your muscles. And again, if you're not feeling anything specific, just note the lack of sensation. Letting that scan travel down into your forearms. Your wrists. Observing whatever you might be feeling in your hands. And then finally, Bringing your awareness into your neck. Notice how the inside of your mouth feels. Notice how your eyes feel in their sockets. Ask yourself how your scalp feels. And then finally bring your awareness into the very crown of your head.
And now as the last portion of this practice, draw your knees up toward the ceiling and place your feet on the floor. Extend your arms out right and left. Take a big inhale and let your knees drop over to the right and look down your left arm and just engage in a gentle twist here. Just really good for giving the internal organs a little massage. And as we've just been practicing, notice how that feels as you do it. Notice where you feel the twist. Notice what that feels like all the way through the center of your abdomen, deep inside you. Now inhale, bring the knees back through center. And exhale to drop them over to the left, turning your head to look down the right arm this time. Breathing into this twist, try not to let the breath become shallow, even though your belly is twisted now. Just let the breath accentuate that sensation. Notice how it feels. Notice how it changes your body. And now bring the knees back through center. Straighten the legs. Take one last big inhale. And exhale. Just let it all go. So if you can bring that sense of awareness and interoception into your daily life, it doesn't have to be laying on the floor for 10 minutes at a time. This is something that we can train our brains to do and notice all the time. And it's just an excellent way to give ourselves information about how what we're experiencing might be affecting us physically and also listening to any messages that our bodies might be trying to tell us, but that we're often so busy and distracted that we tend to ignore. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Adrian. That was beautiful. You're so welcome. And thank you all so much for just spending your time with us today. As always, if getting sober is something you have struggled with, or you're just beginning your journey and you need some support, feel free to reach out to us. You can learn more about our work at RebaRecovery.com or follow us on Instagram at RebaRecovery. We also have a free Facebook group full of wonderful people called Reba Holistic Recovery Support. And if you'd like to learn more about working with us directly, you can book a free visioning session by reaching out to us through any of those platforms. If you like the podcast, we'd appreciate it so much if you could give it a five-star rating and a review on your favorite podcast app so other people can find it. Thanks again for listening. And as always, cheers to you and your liberation. Bye-bye. Bye. The Hangover Liberation Society is a production of Feminist Hot Dog and Loudspeaker. This has been a listener-supported production of Loudspeaker Studios. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.org.